Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. Hello, Raider Nation. Welcome to the Believe in Raiders podcast from the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Dennis Ackerman. Pleased to be joined by former Raider great Stanford Route. Stan, the Raiders made it two in a row as they knocked off the Seattle Seahawks in overtime, 40 to 34. It's their second straight win in OT. Now making them two and six in one score game. Stan, there was a lot of positives uh, to take away from that game on Sunday. So what yes. impressed you the most about the Raiders' victory? Oh, man, I would probably just say the resiliency, in my opinion, uh, to be able to go ahead, come back, make plays, tie the game up, and then be able to go ahead and walk off in that emphatic uh, fashion the way they did with Josh Jacobs. To me, that was big. That was something that when you look at how Seattle, how they've been playing, when you look at how a Geno Smith has been playing, pretty much making Seattle fans not miss Russell Wilson as much. And for them to be able to walk into that building and come out with a W, even if it's in overtime, the walk-off fashion, all of that, and the Legion of Boom is obviously five years gone, five years removed, that's still a big win for them. And I think it's going to do wonders for just the team morale and the overall confidence. Yes, Dan, I got to agree with you. The resiliency to me, along with some other performances, stood out. But after that first play of the game when Derek Carr threw the pick, Yep. To yeah, to my man, Con- Quandre Diggs. Yep. Right. And I just thought to myself, oh my gosh, here we go already. First play of the here game, the Raiders again. turn it over. Seattle cashes in for a touchdown. And I was like, this is going to be a long afternoon. But the Raiders, you know what? They answered immediately. They went right back down the field. They scored a touchdown. And then even later in the first quarter, Carr threw another pick. And that led to a field goal. But it didn't seem to phase the Raiders, Stan, where I felt like maybe – even just three weeks ago, I think the Raiders would have folded and this game would have been a blowout, right? Yes, I agree. And that's why I say the resiliency, because obviously it wasn't a clean game on both sides of the field. Right. When you look at Rocky Asin getting beat on that touchdown against uh, Lockett, you look at the touch, I'm sorry, the interceptions that were thrown by Derek Carr. You look at the, 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 the missteps on offensive and defense side of the ball. And for them to still be able to galvanize, come back, tie the game up, then go into overtime and get the walk-off. To me, that's something you probably would not have seen a month ago. So it shows that this team is taking steps in the right direction. All right, before we get to Josh Jacobs, that's what I want to hit on next. Let's get our sponsorship read in here. 
Hoops is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online and as your continued source for all sports wagering information. Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and events, whether it's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BLEAV to receive your rewards. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, Stan, uh, Josh Jacobs, to me, he stood out the most. He finished with a franchise single-game record for all-purpose yards, 303 rushing yards, 229. He also became just the fourth player in the Super Bowl era to finish with at least 300 all-purpose yards and two touchdowns in game, joining a couple Chiefs, uh, Stephon Page, way back in 1985, then Priest Holmes uh, back in 2002, and then Adrian Peterson in 2007. Stan, I'm going to make the case uh, for Josh Jacobs that he is playing the best football of any running back in the NFL. If you take a look at his overall yard, Stan, 1,159. He's averaging five and a half carries every time he touches the football on the ground. He's got nine touchdowns. Now, I think we Derrick Henry, can we agree he's probably going into the season we all thought he was the best running back? Oh, yeah, definitely. Coming into okay. the season, of course. His numbers, 1,048 yards, 4.2 average per rush, 10 touchdowns. And then Nick Chubb, 1,039 yards, 5.2, 12 touchdowns. Stan, am I off base, or can we make the case that Josh Jacobs, right now, the way he's playing, he's the best running back in the NFL? Yeah, I think right now, currently, he is playing the best out of all the running backs in the NFL, which is such a great thing for the black and silver to be able to know that they have somebody they can hand the ball off to. And if you notice, Derek Carr has seemingly played better when the run game is actually producing more. So I think that uh, one hand basically, should I say, shakes the other or massages the other uh, per se. And I think that uh, for Josh Jacobs, for everything that he's been through, everything that he's had to go through throughout his childhood, coming from Oklahoma, going to the University of Alabama, being the star running back that he was. And I think just the adversity right now, he gets his fifth-year option declined. Let's right. just go ahead and call it that. That's adversity. And look at how he's responding to it. Look at how he's handling it. And if, assuming that he does not finish the season with some sort of injury, so let me knock on wood to say that, and if he finishes in the NFL, top five, no, top three, top five in rushing yards, the way he's playing right now, right now, yeah, I'm going to stick it to the Raiders. I'm going to make them pay me because – you already declined my fifth-year option. I can, I'm a free agent. I can go wherever, you know, assuming they don't franchise him. But, yeah, definitely pay the man. So uh, he's definitely playing uh, the best running back uh, uh, display right now in the NFL, and I think that he needs to be deservedly so rewarded in a few months. Dan, let me ask you this. Obviously, the Raiders have issues on the offensive line, in particular the right side. We know that defense needs to be overhauled. But heading into the offseason – is priority number one re-signing Jacobs? Or like you even said, the possibility of, of franchising. But just bringing him back, is that priority numero uno? Unless, follow me very closely. Okay. What's the Raiders' record? Four and seven. Four and seven. Unless the Raiders tank it for the remaining, for the remaining six games of the season, and they wind up with a top five pick, which I hope they don't have a top five pick. Agreed. But assuming 
let's say somehow, some way that happens, and you are able to get your hands on B. John Robinson, who probably is going to come out of Texas and be a high draft pick, unless you're able to get your hands on him definitively where, okay, we know we're going to get this guy. Man, you better uh, re-sign Josh Jacobs, period. And I think that uh, if they don't, it's going to be something that the fan base will probably, it'll, it'll draw a lot of ire from the fan base based on the way he's playing right now. And I think that you'll see the Raiders suffer next season, assuming that he's not there. And you don't have a B. John Robinson. You don't have a Nick Chubb. You don't have a top-notch running back in the NFL, right? You don't have a Christian McCaffrey, which I don't think he's leaving the 49ers. So that's why I say if you're not going to get B. John Robinson, man, you better damn sure resign Josh Jacobs. Yeah, I thought Zamir White would be mixed into the offense much more, the rookie out of Georgia. But he's he's had a cup of coffee basically so far this year, and, and that's been it. You know, Stan, if you remember Mike Mayock's inaugural draft with the Raiders, I mean, the first round he took Clee Farrell fourth, Josh Jacobs yeah. 24th, Jonathan Abram 27th. Farrell's basically an afterthought. Abrams been released, and then Jacobs has basically turned into the, one of the best running backs in the NFL, as we've discussed. I mean, Josh Jacobs, beg your pardon, Josh McDaniels must be wondering himself what the Raiders' offense would be like without him right now. Stan, uh, it's common practice in the NFL these days not to give running backs a second contract. If you do want to resign him, play the general manager for me for a moment. What do you try to do? Two-year deal with him? Three-year deal? What would th- your thinking be? I think uh, something in the something in the ballpark of let's say a two year deal would probably be ideal, maybe three years, something like that, um, with a a decent amount of guaranteed money. Because, like I said, you don't want to just have this guy do this type of season for you and then just you know like let it all go to waste. Like, come on, man, reward the guy. Like, like don't do that. You reward other players right. <laughs> who don't live up to their contract. You keep other guys around who don't live up to their contracts. And man, like, don't do that guy wrong like that. This guy's over here being a workhorse for you in a season that probably won't end in the playoffs. Maybe it will because you still got six games left. So who knows? But I just, I just think that's bad business to do that because I think it sends the wrong message to your younger players on that roster. All right, Stan, I want to go over the other side of the football now, defense. I know your forte. I want to talk about Max Crosby uh, in particular because I think you can make the case for him for defensive player of the year, but I think the problem is the Raiders' record is going to come back to haunt exactly. him. I want, I, I want to sense, uh, share some numbers with you, and I looked these up, and I compared Crosby uh, to the other leading sack, uh, leading sackers in the NFL. Now, Crosby's number is 10.5 sacks. He's got 67 total tackles. Two forced fumbles and one fumble recovery. Nick Bosa, 11 and a half sacks, but Stan, just 33 total tackles. Okay. Micah Parsons, mm-hmm. 12, 12 sacks, 50 total tackles, three forced fumbles, one fumble recovery. Matthew Judon from the Patriots leads the way with 13 sacks, 43 total tackles, one forced fumble. Now, if you take the totality of all those numbers, Stan, I mean, 10 and a half sacks is currently fourth in the NFL for Crosby. Uh, those four guys that I just listed, Crosby has so many more tackles than the other three. He has 67 total tackles. Micah Parsons is next closest with just 50. I think if the Raiders' record was 7-4, and four, I think Max Crosby would be the leading vote getter or, or leading the way, I should say, for Defensive Player of the Year. But unfortunately, like I said, the Raiders are 4-7. and seven. I think Parsons, because of the Dallas Cowboys and everything comes at playing with for the Dallas Cowboys, or maybe Nick Bosa because that defense uh, of unit of the 49ers is remarkable. I think they have four consecutive shutouts in the second half. So, Stan, am I off base thinking that, you know what, Max Crosby really does deserve consideration for Defensive Player of the Year? 
Oh, wow. Uh, I think he deserves consideration where I would have to go ahead and, and push back, not because I want to, because I'm a huge Raider fan, but just for the objectivity of this conversation. And you, you hit it right on the head, basically with him simply being on a team that right now does not have a winning record. When you look at Matthew Judon, look at Mike, Micah Parsons, you look at Nick Bosey, look at Chris Jones, who's right behind him at 10 sacks. You look at Miles Garrett, Brian Burns, uh, those guys you need to have a winning record sure. to win that type of award because here's the question. I'm sorry. Here's the kicker. Defensive player of the what? Year. Exactly. Defensive player of the year. So essentially the best defensive player in football that season. Well, here we go. How, bunch, how much of an impact were you if your team didn't even have a winning record? That's what the push, that's what the, the naysayers are going to push back with. That's number one. Number two, when you look at how Max Crosby this season, how obviously playing a great year, going to go to the Pro Bowl, needs another all-pro nod, deserves his contract, everything. Man, he's from Texas, so I ride with the guy no matter what. <laughs> but people are going to push back and they're going to say, well, certain games, it's like he disappeared. He didn't have any sacks. And other games like against the Denver Broncos where he just goes berserk, where he has like, I think, what, uh, five sacks or four and a half on the year so. against just the, the Denver Broncos alone. Right. So that right there, the Denver Broncos is the worst offense in the NFL right now or one of. So you're feasting on a lesser team. You're feasting on the weak teams and things like that. So because he has not necessarily had those big games against those bigger opponents with winning records, I think that's what people are going to use to push back on him even though he's definitely having a Pro Bowl season. He definitely is having an all-pro year, and he definitely needs to be in consideration for it because the guy plays with an absolute motor. Yeah, I think he's played, I believe, 95% of the Raiders' defensive snaps this year, which is just, that, that, that number is absolutely remarkable to me. And I think the Raiders as a team have 16 sacks that I mentioned earlier. He has 10 and a half of them. And, and to go, go ahead, ahead and just to add one more point to that, DA, when you look at all of the top sack leaders right now, and I'm looking at right here in front of me, Max Crosby has 67 tackles this year. 67. Right. right. <laughs> and everybody else is in the 40s, the I 30s. Know. Michael Parsons has 50. He's the right. closest person to him. And he's 17 tackles behind Max Crosby. And it just goes to show Max Crosby plays the run well. Yep. He gets after the quarterback. He's more of a complete uh, defensive end, not necessarily an edge rusher, somebody that just specifies or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, specializes in getting after the quarterback. And that's why I think because of that, people are going to actually use how complete he is against him because people want to see sacks. And you already know sacks equals stacks. That's how you get paid. <laughs> and that's how people are going to go ahead and try to gauge how an edge rusher qualifies for Defensive Player of the Year consideration. Stan, who would you vote for if you had a vote right now? Uh, and, and, and this right here is indicative of what the Associated Press is going to do. I would probably go with Micah Parsons. A, because he's on my TV screen more. Mm -hmm. B, he's on my TV, even though he's on my TV screen more, that's A. B, he makes a lot of plays in those TV games that I'm watching. And just when you look at how the Dallas Cowboys have one of the better ranked defenses in the NFL and who's the best defensive player on the Dallas Cowboys. Oh yeah. Micah Parsons. So boom, boom, boom. That's exactly why uh, I would pick him, but I don't think that uh, Max Crosby is far behind. I don't think Max Crosby is a lesser player than Micah Parsons, but that's what the associated press, that's how they're going to look at it. 
They only know what's on their TV screen. And the Dallas Cowboys are always on their TV screen. And whenever the Dallas Cowboys are on their TV screen, Micah Parsons is always getting after the quarterback. I think it's what he's had, what, four or five games this year where he's had two or more sacks. Is that, is, is that it? I, uh, I know like, some yeah. weird number. Yeah, exactly. So that right there, he's showing up at the quarterback more often uh, in bigger games on TV than Max Crosby. And that's what people are going to look at. Even though you look at Michael Parsons, 12 sacks, you look at Max Crosby, 10 and a half, Max Crosby has more tackles. So Max Crosby is still making his impact, but you're not seeing the Raiders on your TV screen, nationally televised games as much as you are those freaking Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> All right, let's get to the Raiders <laughs> opponent on, on Sunday, and that's the LA Chargers. These two met to open the season, which seems like a lifetime ago, and it was the Chargers who came out on top 24 to 19. Uh, Stan, the, the Raiders had an opportunity to win that game uh, on opening Sunday. They had the ball uh, on the final drive. Unfortunately, they came up short, which seemed to be a theme through the first I don't know, six, seven weeks of this season, losing one score games. Uh, what are yep. you looking for out of the Raiders if they hope to make it three in a row? Oh, I think that uh, they're going to have to go ahead and get after Justin Herbert. That's number one. I think that uh, Josh Jacobs is going to have to control the clock. He's going to have to control the run game. And Derek Carr, obviously, is going to have to make sure that he takes care of the ball. We know that the L.A. Chargers, they can do what? They can get after the quarterback. Yeah. I think you would agree on that, wouldn't you? Khalil Mack, so yep, they're going to have to make – He's going to have to make sure that he protects the ball. He's going to get sacked a couple times. So let's just go ahead and call it that. They got a good pass rush. They're going to get after him. They're going to sack him a couple of times. It just cannot be a sack, strip, fumble. It can't be a sack, strip, fumble, recovered, advanced for a touchdown. It can't be that. It just needs to be a sack, a loss of yards, brings up now third and 16, and then we're still able to punt the ball. It can't be a sack, and now it's a turnover, putting our defense in now a bad situation where they simply have to just do their darnest just to not give up a touchdown and only surrender a field goal. I think the Raiders have to take care of the ball. You can control the clock, control the, the flow of the game with Josh Jacobs on the ground. Devontae Adams obviously has to have a big day. You got to protect Carr, and I think you have to make sure that you limit the deep ball, limit the big plays for Justin Herbert. We already know that he likes to go to the air. He likes to go up to Mike Williams. He likes to go up to Keenan Allen. He likes to go up to his tight ends all over the football field. Austin Eckler out of the backfield. You got to do a good job of tackling him in space. I think if the Raiders are able to do that, they'll be able to come out victorious. But if they're going to go and falter in any of those areas of the game that I just outlined, then you're probably going to see an L on the scoreboard. Yeah, Stan, to me, it seems like the last couple of weeks, the Raiders have finally found a recipe for them that works on offense with Jacobs, you know, carrying the load, setting up the play action pass. Carr seems to be more comfortable in the pocket now because the, the defenses have to honor Jacobs. And it feels like the Raiders are almost balanced 50-50 when it comes to the run pass yeah. option these last couple of weeks. But Stan, you know, you mentioned earlier the Broncos, they they do have the worst offense in the NFL, I think the Raiders held them to, what, 16 points? And I know Seattle put up 34, but let's face facts. The Raiders gifted them 10 points with the two-car interceptions. Uh -huh. I, I feel like the Raiders' defense has actually made some strides the last couple of weeks. Have you seen that as well, or am I just imagining things uh, on my television? <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like they made some strides. You can tell that they're still weak in certain areas, like Rocky Asin, uh, him over there on that deep ball with uh, with Lockett. He was in good position, but it seemed like he kind of slowed down uh, as he was going to look back for the ball. That could have easily been a pass breakup or maybe even an interception. And I think the Raiders have to make sure that they shore up those types of those types of bumps and bruises. And then I think they'd actually be a much better defense 
uh, especially when you look at how uh, Kenneth Walker, you look at that touchdown that he had where he's backpedaling. Right. He's pulling the pile into the end zone. You can't have times like that. That's a rookie. Now, we all know he's a stud out of Michigan State, but you can't have those types of moments where you're giving up a rushing touchdown where the guy is backing the entire defense into the end zone with those powerful legs of his. you gotta, you got to make sure that you can go ahead and eliminate those types of bad plays. And then I think the Raiders actually could be an average to maybe above average defense. But until they're able to go ahead and eliminate those types of blemishes, I think that there's still going to be a situation where we hope Max Crosby can get after the quarterback. We hope we can go ahead and get a turnover on a forced fumble or something like that. We hope we can come up with a Denzel Perriman interception and things like that, rather than it be a situation where we know going into this game, we know the Raiders are going to do their thing on, on the defense side of the ball. Yeah, the Raiders actually picked up a couple of turnovers against Seattle. Gives them just eight now on the season. And Dan, I want to talk about the head coaches now. I mean, Josh McDaniels, I texted you after the Raiders on fourth and uh-huh. fourth and maybe five inches decided to run a toss with Jacobs instead of a quarterback sneak with Derek Hart. It always seems like at least one time Josh McDaniels is going to come up with a head scratcher kind of a call. But on the other side, Stan, we all know Chargers head coach Brandon Staley's heavily into analytics. Um, analytics. Yeah. And as a former player, you played eight years in the NFL and you're now a current volunteer coach at the University of Houston. Give me your thought on analytics. Oh, man. I think that uh, when you look at how analytics has swept through all of sports, basketball, baseball, football as well, the football historian in me hates it. But I also understand that it's needed in today's game. I think that it needs to be implemented with a certain level of moderation. I don't think that you can completely always rely on it. I think that uh, I've heard some people call it manalytics, where you still got to be able to go ahead and put a certain level of common sense, nuance, and context within how you interpret the analytics. Because the analytics say uh, it's it's more advantageous or it's a higher percentage to what? Go for two points instead of kick the extra point. Okay, yeah. But <laughs> if you're in a situation where the flow of the game is showing you man, we've kind of struggled to really move the ball or run the ball against this defense. Well, we don't really have a set two-point play that we know is going to work, that we feel good about. Then kick that damn field goal. I'm sorry, kick that damn extra point. That's where the common sense has to be implemented. It can't just be, oh, well, the analytics says this. No, I don't think you can go ahead and just rely on it too much because this game is still played on grass. This game is still played on the football field. It's not played on a computer. And at the same time, I'll say this, D.A. I want somebody to actually show me the pieces of paper that actually have all the analytics on it. Like, nobody actually shows, okay, well, this is what the analytics say. Okay, what computer program, what software did you (laughs) download on the computer or on your phone that produces these analytics? Like, nobody says anything about it. It's just, oh, well, this is what the analytics say. Where the hell are the analytics at? Like, where the hell, what program, what, uh, what app, like, like, where the hell does it come from? Nobody answers that question, like, verbatim. Nobody does. It's always, oh, you know, this is, hey, man, where did the damn analytics come from? What website? And nobody ever has an answer for me. No, I'm with you, Stan. You know what? I, I'm, just, I'm not a fan. Uh, maybe I'm old school. I, uh, analytics can't tell me the feel of a game. They can't tell me nope. my offense right now 
is having my, their way with the defense. You can't tell mm -hmm. me that the defense is having their way with the offense. There's no feeling in it. What are the weather conditions like? What part of the game are we at? Is it fourth and one? I'm up 17 to 15. Maybe, you know what? Give me the gut feeling, Stan. I would rather go with the exactly. gut feeling than the analytics. The analytics can't tell me the current situation, how my players are feeling, what is going on in the game. I just, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I'm just not a fan. I like Exactly. It. You know what? I look at. I agree. I kind of go back to almost John Madden. He's a perfect guy who had that gut feeling, always went, this is my feeling, this is my feeling. And I would rather rely on something like that than, like you said, some program or some computer that tells me I should go for it here, I should punt here. Just not a fan. Stan, let me ask you this. Uh, how much do you guys use it at the University of Houston, the analytics? Oh, I, mean, I think uh, it's, used a, it's used a pretty good amount, I think, on the offense side of the ball. Uh, I think that all throughout college football, you know, especially offenses, that's one thing that they're going to, that they're going to lean on, the one thing they're going to look at just because that's where the game is now gone. When you look at the Chiefs with Pat Mahomes, you look at the Chargers with uh with Justin Herbert, or you look at Joe Burrow and the Bengals. So that's pretty much kind of like what uh, on the offensive side of the ball, that's something that offenses now all across high school, college, professional, all that uh, use. But let me ask you this, Dan. We hear analytics for the offense, but how does analytics come into play for the defense? Oh, as far as the defense side of the ball, I wouldn't go as far as to say analytics. I would just say the percentages. If you know that you're going against a team and on third down, third in, let's say, six to ten, third and medium situation, something like that, they're heavy on the pass. Well, then obviously you're going to go ahead and try to call a defense that is more geared to stopping the pass. If you know it's third and short, the percentages show that. 80% of the time on third and two or less, they're going to run the ball. Okay, well, then you load up on the run. So I would say on the defense side of the ball, it's more about playing the percentages and less on the analytics per se, uh, if, you, if you're asking my, my personal opinion on it. All right, let's get to Sunday's game now, Stan. Uh, the Raiders, uh, they're actually underdog at home. The over-under is 50 and a half. Uh, look, at the Raiders can make it three in a row. They would move to five and seven. They'd actually move to within a game. Uh, of the Chargers in the standings. I know the playoffs uh, are right now, there's not, there's not even a light at the end of the tunnel. Let's just try to go for three in a row and, and, and try <laughs> yeah. to make it back to 500. But uh, how do you feel about the silver and black on Sunday taking on a longtime rival, uh, the Chargers? I think they're going to have to, like I said, uh, I think that obviously they're going to have a, a level of confidence going into the game. You got the Chargers that are two games ahead of them within the win-loss column. They can go ahead and, and try to close that down and now just one game. And I think the Raiders are going to put their best foot forward. And I think that uh, it just comes down to do they protect Carr? Do they protect Carr? And can they continue to have success in the run game? I think if they're able to do that, along with stopping the big play on the defensive side of the ball from the Chargers offense, I, I think the Raiders have a good shot at winning this game on Sunday. I, I do too, especially after the way they've played them. Uh, in the season opener, 50 and a half, Stan. That seems like a lot. But then again, I look at the game from yeah. last week. It was 74 was the point total. Absolutely. If you factor in overtime, it was still 68 was the point total uh, at the end of four quarters. Uh, you know, I picked against the Raiders the last two weeks and they've won. So maybe I'm going to pick against them again uh, and go the Chargers. But I think it's another tight one. I think somewhere along 27-24. Dan, when we look at the Chargers, are, why is it that we kind of say this all the time about them? The Chargers are just being the Chargers. Seems like every year they they have maybe the most talent in the AFC West, but they're always right around 500, or they always seem like they're playing 
to the level of the opponent. What is it about that franchise? I mean, it doesn't matter who the head coach is. They change players. They change, they change everything. But it seems like the Chargers are the Chargers every single season. Yeah, I think a lot of that just comes down to them being not, not able to finish games. Uh, I think that uh, just a play here, a play there. They seem to always ha- kind of have the Chiefs number if the game is at Arrowhead. They don't necessarily have that they're playing at home at SoFi. And I think that when you just look at how they just a uh, play here and a play there. And that right there is uh, when you look at Brandon Staley's resume, he does not come out victorious. He does not come out on the better end of those games that are just decided by a play here and a play there. You know the Chargers have talent. You know that. But they're a little bit of a head scratcher, like you said. Like, you just don't understand why it seems like they never put it all together. I think that uh, also injuries play a part. You look at J.C. Jackson, who came over from the New England Patriots. He's out for the season. He hasn't really much been on the field, at, like if any, all year long. So just those types of situations, I think injuries play a part. Uh, and I think that uh, they're not able to put everything together because if it's not one thing, it's another. Yeah, I agree. Stan, before we uh, wrap things up here, I got to give a shout out to my brother, John. He turns 62 here on Wednesday. And he's, Stan, he's probably one of the biggest Raider fans uh, that I know. When the Raiders were in the midst of losing double digits, uh, you know, what, seven straight season? I think it was double digit uh, losses. Man, he, he mm-hmm. made the trip from Reno. Every home game. He never missed a home game. I, I, it's unbelievable. You had season tickets when they were in Oakland. He still has them in Las Vegas. He still goes. Um, I tip my hat to him because he is loyal. He is faithful. And Stan, as you know, this franchise can test any, any fan base with the way they've uh, played over the what the last two decades. So just want to give a shout out to him. Wishing him a happy, happy 62nd birthday. And Hopefully he's got many more, many more to come. And hopefully the Raiders can give him a birthday present on uh, Sunday and knock off the Chargers and make it three in a row. <clears throat> Good stuff as always, my man. Always, man. Love to uh, do this with you, DA. Hopefully we're having a much, a much like this week, uh, joyous episode because the Raiders are going to go ahead and come out with that victory against the Los Angeles Chargers. All right, that's going to do it for another edition of the Believe in Raiders podcast presented by BetOnline.ag. For my partner, Stanford Route, I'm Dennis Ackerman. Thanks so much for listening, and may all your punts find the coffin corner. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.